you know, we, we are living in interesting times uh, for a whole host of reasons. And, and one of the key areas we believe that the, that the uh, investors uh, have, have, have almost made a little bit of an ideological call is not to invest in, um, in fossil. Uh, and I call it ideological call because in theory, it all sounds fine, but in practicality, obviously, as we know, the devil is in the details. So without further ado, I think, I think one of the things we're looking at is that if you look at the, over the longer run, earnings drive stock prices. And, and today, uh, there's obviously technologies all the rage, uh, or the particular last, uh, last 10 years and last three years, uh, especially during COVID, it you know, essentially got turbocharged. However, the thing that we feel quite fascinating is that how um, the earnings growth in energy has really come back roaring um, over the last few years. In fact, it has almost caught up with tech. And this last five years, kind of the biggest bull market in tech that we have seen. Um, and, and this is the, the, the ACQUI, so it's, it really covers globe uh, in terms of the technology, not only in the US, but also non-US. And, and I think like, like, like so many times, uh, there's a narrative uh, that is convenient, it works, uh, but sometimes, in fact, I would say most of the time, the narrative takes a life of its own and, 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 and sort of kind of becomes um, uh, 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 you know, a, a way too strong a belief, which is, you know, which ultimately uh, you know, um, tends to, to negatively impact returns. And I think, I think if you look at the energy side, we believe that the narrative seems to be way too convenient. Uh, because if you think about it, uh, if, if we choke off uh, capital to, uh, to fossil, whether it's oil and gas, coal, and so on and so forth, um, the, the narrative is that, that you know, the world would be better off. Well, we actually believe that that's kind of rather convenient, but it's ideological. There's no commercial merit to it. Uh, and the reason is that if you're not doing anything about the demand, choking out supply or reducing supply will only create a crisis. And you begin to see signs of that in Europe, in China, in Latin America, uh, and, and so on and so forth, because supply is, is getting constrained. Blackstone, in fact, just announced today that they would no longer be investing in, uh, in, 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 in oil and gas industry as such. Now, what's, what's the, the other aspect is if you look at the market valuations, uh, the valuations of technology uh, have actually gone up quite a bit. Um, and, and, and that is, you know, that, that, that is quite remarkable because if you're sitting here in 2010, uh, the sentiment was exactly the opposite. Uh, so we've come a long way in terms of how markets are perceiving technology. And as we know, over the long run, technology tends to be cyclical, um, almost as cyclical as energy if you take a very long-term view. It is not, it, 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 and the reason the supply always catches on. And, and the biggest reason on the energy front where we see the problem is CapEx. Uh, as I was saying that vast majority of banks are under pressure not to lend to, to, to oil and gas industry. Um, and the CapEx has gone down by almost 40% over the last, last seven, eight years, uh, which is very different from the 2010, 11, 12 era when everybody believes strongly there's a commodity super cycle and China urbanization, emerging market growth, and so on and so forth would lead to secular growth in commodity prices uh, because supply would not be able to catch up uh, while demand will continue to grow. Now, if you look at the reality is that because of the underinvestment, the free cash flow generation on, on energy has actually, uh, has, has really sort of gone up sharply. It started happening 2018, 2019. However, the COVID uh, scenario made a difference. Oil, as we know, went basically went negative. Uh, on the other side, free cash for gener generation from 
information technology is actually going the other direction. Um, why? Because there's way too much excitement. Um, there's, there's a lot of capacity for semiconductors being added, which again, yes, the demand is strong, but as you know, semiconductors like any other uh, sort of uh, cycle, any, any business which is a little more cyclical, uh, would 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 the issue, the the cycle would be killed by too much supply? I mean, if you go back to 2000, I remember there was a similar phenomenon. Uh, however, the there was overbuilding in that period, and guess what happened? There was over a 10 year drought in that space. I'll give you one example. If you bought applied material, which was kind of thought as one of the best best of breed, or, uh, almost uh, you know uh, uh, an oligopoly, um, that stock peaked in March of 2000. If you bought it at that point, and the demand in twenty, in you know, over twenty years has been fantastic, uh, the stock actually co recovered that peak in November of twenty twenty. Okay, that's twenty years, exactly twenty years. Uh, so sometimes these cycles are 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 sort of you know are easy to believe, but the reality might be different. And we feel that that investors are making non-commercial decisions because these energy transitions last. If you look at human history, they last decades. They don't last. They, they don't happen two three years. And, and those transitions, you need companies that are part of the solution, not companies that are part of the problem. So the idea should be to squeeze out bad players, bad actors, but some of the good actors are needed uh, because otherwise you'll get an energy crisis. In fact, you're seeing uh, demand for coal uh, going up and in, 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 in coal prices have gone up quite a bit because ironically, um, you know, there's gas shortage as we know, uh, Germany and Belgium and a bunch of European countries have decided to uh, phase out nuclear. Well, the last couple of years, wind didn't blow as much, and uh, you're having uh, uh, power shortages. The power prices have gone have gone up quite a bit, and now they're being forced to actually import more coal. So they, they, we might be having a perverse outcome if you're not careful. And we believe that investors have taken a rather convenient um, road, which is a kind of a binary approach, uh, no to fossil, and yes to everything else. The problem is that one of the reasons why the traditional ESG um, matrix has worked is because last 10 years has been a down cycle. There was overinvestment prior five, six years prior to 2010. Uh, and, and a lot of these industries under sort of basically were, you know, sort of going through their overcapacity situation, which now is, is we're through that. In fact, oil demand is back to all time highs, uh, very close to all time highs, but the supply is struggling to keep up. And, and if that continues, as you can see, the free cash flow generation is really going up sharply. Um, to give one big data point, Exxon this year will generate more free cash. In fact, last year too, more free cash at $70 oil than they generate $140 oil, okay? Uh, which is kind of remarkable. And that's true for a whole host of companies, not just Exxon. So we believe there's an, a true investment proposition. And the interesting thing is when inflation is high, high multiple names get slaughtered. And, and I'm not exaggerating. If you go back to the 70s, the reason growth investing got bad name in the 70s and for a long time, was that inflation came through in the 70s and that you know high multiple names folks and there was again what we call the nifty 50 era uh, and, and and a lot of those names were really taken out um uh, we are seeing early signs of that we believe if inflation stays high and if uh, energy prices go high a lot of growth magic could really take it on the chin and we're seeing signs that we are about hardly two months into this year and we've seen some of the funds down 15 20 in some cases 30 percent so i think i think i think the the, the commercial reality is beginning to hit home um, you know, um, now, uh, so we feel that, you know, it, it is actually kind of coming back to a, a change in regime. Um, uh, the older economy seems to make a comeback because of discipline. Uh, and, and there's too much faith on recent winners, you know, the COVID, particularly COVID or even before. CapEx discipline still matters. 
companies and industries that have that have sort of been disciplined would uh, would, would would obviously benefit. Uh, and and we, our job is to find companies that are good, that are truly part of the solution, which will allow us to make the transition to clean a better world. Um, and 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 we feel a lot of growth managers have become, uh, in fact, you know, a little too complacent. Uh, in fact, if you look at it, almost 65, 70% of global growth managers have no energy, which is why, hence the title, that a lot of growth managers lack energy. Rajiv, I've got a few questions, but I'll start with the one that I think is obvious. Uh, in terms of, I guess, what GQG is, uh, you would be considered, I, I think, a, a quality growth manager. So are, is what we're talking about here just a massive case of style drift that suits you? No, actually, actually, we believe that growth has to be forward-looking, not backward-looking. Uh, consistency uh, is what a lot of growth measures focus on, but consistency really a function of the environment that you're living in. I mean, if you're sitting in 1980, Angela, uh, Schlumberger was considered one of the classic growth stocks, was top five by market cap in the world. It grew at 15, actually almost 20% analyzed EPS Kager. You sell two times Coca-Cola, right? If you're sitting at 2008, people thought Moody's is going under, it was selling at eight times earnings, right? So I think, I think backward-looking quality and forward-looking quality, our view is to find new areas of growth and quality is the we believe is not a cons issue of consistency, it's the barriers to entry. Think about this, if you are a monopoly construction company in a small town, it'll be cyclical business, but it'll be a very high quality because it's a monopoly. So our view is barriers to entry matter. And the last point is, if you look at Warren Buffett, which I would argue is considered pope of quality investing, um, his portfolio is, is full of cyclicals. I mean, from, from mobile homes to bricks to shoes, to, I mean, in fact, it was a textile company, insurance, what is not cyclical? So, so I, think, I, think, I think the narrative has gone a little too far in terms of backward-looking consistency versus forward-looking you know, barriers to entry. Yeah, okay. So I, I guess sort of t taking that forward, um, the idea that these are growth companies would, would suggest that they're going to be with us for a very long time. And I would think that in terms of climate change and all the, the goals associated with that, that there is, I guess, an imperative globally for, for that not to be the case. So, you know, although they may, you know, I guess have those characteristics right at the moment, why do you think that they will continue, given the, the world, let's, let's hope, um, has, a, has another agenda to, um, you know, to, to substitute other, other energy sources? Yeah, so uh, I, think, I think Norway is a good example in that case. Norway is almost 65% electric vehicles. Their overall energy consumption has barely gone down. And the reason is mobility is a small part of total energy consumption. If you go to a hospital, if you look at any sort of uh, healthcare related stuff. I mean, they're all plastics, uh, polyester, um, you, you name it. All of that actually comes from energy. So the mobility is a very small part of the grand scheme of things. So the only discussion is, is regarding mobility and we haven't really found any alternative to plastics and so on and so forth. So the fact that Norway has gone to 65% electric vehicles and their overall uh, energy, cons uh, you know, uh, uh, fossil consumption has really not gone down much. I think th that's a sad part, by the way, that, that it'll take a long time to truly transition and 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 in the and obviously the issue is long. What do what do how do you define long run? Uh, because this transition could last 40, 50, 60 years. And and the question is, to what extent will be successful? Uh, because we need to find a lot of um, uh, a lot of other commodities to make that transition. As you know, mm. electric vehicles are six times six times more copper intensive. Six x. Well, we need a, we need to find a lot of copper uh, to be able to make that transition. 
Yep, okay. So in, in terms of, I guess, how you um, engage with those companies, you're obviously buying them. Do, do you think that there is a role for fund managers to um, improve the situation by working with those companies to potentially lower you know, the, the climate um, impact that they have? Exactly. I think, I think, I think uh, as you know, we employ uh, a lot of former investigative journalists, and it's kind, of, it's, kind of, it's kind of fascinating that they have said to me that, you know, they, they have written about this as investigative journalists in, in their former careers, and the, 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 the treatment that they got is very different versus being a shielder and sitting in the boardroom, right? Uh, so we believe we can lean on the managements to get their act together. And let's not forget, the notion that Exxon is forced to sell some other assets uh, is actually doesn't do any good to the world because if those assets are bought, which they will be because they're selling to somebody, are bought by some private entrepreneur from somewhere, we actually have a lot less control on that. We can lean on Exxon and, and, and force them to get their act together a lot more than some private individual or a private equity where there's a lot less control. So I think, I think, I think to simply shove it away um, into somebody else's hand is hardly a solution, you know, because you look at it in totality. So we feel buying better, you know, trying to lean on management to get their act together, uh, to be a better corporate citizens, we actually can make a much bigger difference. So I've got... Um... Rajiv, some questions that have come through from our live stream audience, some questions from our studio audience. Uh, Milford Asset Management in Brisbane has a group and they have put a question that is um, whether you're concerned about capital allocation specifically for institutional mandates to the E area, uh, given your fossil fuel allocations. Um, yeah, actually, we have, we have, we've gotten a, uh, more than a few mandates uh, which are very focused on ESG because they, uh, and these are some of the European corporates and so forth who are very concerned about that, that, about that. And the reason is because taking a binary approach doesn't help anybody and they understand this is a little more nuanced approach, supporting good players, companies that are part of the solution versus companies that are part of the problem. Uh, in fact, well, what people sometimes forget is that if you hit a button on, do a search on Google, that is very energy intensive. I mean, the lot of service has to run. So anything we're doing is actually more energy intensive, not less. So the whole no notion of technology is less uh, carbon intensive is, is not true at all. In fact, there's quite a bit carbon intensity. Every time we turn on Netflix, it's, you know, you, you, it, it's very power consuming. So do you think inflation is driving energy prices or energy prices driving inflation? Is, is it that binary? Uh, actually, most of the time, energy prices drive inflation, um, not the other way around. Uh, I mean, there's obviously inflation can raise cost of, you know, uh, cost of bringing out fossil and so on and so forth. But uh, yes, uh, the, the energy prices historically almost always have led the cycles of higher inflation. Adelaide is asking, is energy the new tobacco? Uh, I, I, I totally disagree because tobacco, you, 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 you know, the world will do perfectly fine without tobacco, okay? Uh, would be better off. You can't say that energy because it's kind of ironic. If you look at the COP26 in Glasgow a few months ago, the INA is pretty much everybody who was presenting there were going there in private jets. And I would argue that if you're flying private jets, I don't think you really care about the world as such, which is probably, I mean, in terms of hypocrisy, I would say that the notion that you, we all can drive SUVs and, and, and so on and so forth uh, without necessarily impacting the, you know, the, the, the demand side is obviously not true. So it's, it's, it's far away from tobacco. Uh, quick question. 
What's the risk of stranded assets? Because that's mm. what a lot of the other managers talk about. Stranded assets. Yep. With regards to oil and gas. Uh, I think, I think, I think that, that, that's an important question, but, but I think, I think there's, there's, the, the two ways to look at it is one is, is uh, how much cash for these businesses generate and, and who else you know, can they I mean, sell it to or, or clean up the act. And by the way, that's one of the key areas of our focus with the companies is what are they doing when, when the assets are no longer productive. Uh, and again, I think the Exxon is a lot more likely to do it the right way. I'm picking on Exxon, by the way, it's one of the largest companies, doesn't, could be same with Total or Royal Shell or what have you, uh, versus, uh, versus others. Um, so I think, I think, I think it, it is an important issue, but uh, I, I would argue that, that the larger companies are much more likely to get their act together even after those assets are done, the non-productive versus, versus an entrepreneur, individual entrepreneur who really have no hook. I think, I think the other part is that Stranded assets uh, uh, obviously is an issue, but, but the fact of the matter is if you look at almost any industry, vast majority of the things are, 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 are kind of not usable. In fact, the whole concept of renewable is a little bit oxymoronic because there's nothing like renewable as such. I mean, they have limited life. If you look at any windmill, these are millions of tons of plastic, right? That's non-recyclable. Even solar, their efficiency actually goes down over the X many years and over 20 plus years, they'll be useless, right? So they have to recycle and obviously a lot of not usable. So I think, I think that issue doesn't go away. Same with battery, by the way, on Tesla's. Let's go to uh, a, la a last question here, which I'll ask Ange to comment on as well. And Ange may want to have some additional comments on the answers that have been given so far or the questions. Yeah. Are there any growth sectors which look attractive in your view right now from a valuation perspective or um, and this is kind of loaded, it seems to me. Are you steering clear of growth entirely? Yeah, look, I think, I think, I think we believe there's certain interesting areas from a growth perspective. Technology is still, we still own technology, don't get me wrong, but I mean, if you look at a few years ago, we had 40 plus percent technology and we're down to five, 6%. Because we believe there's, there's extreme uh, level of investments going on technology. In fact, uh, if you look at the PC desktop being bought over the last 12 to 18 months, that's running at 50% over the historical run rate, and one could argue there's kind of the, the, the stimulus that got in US and, and parts of Europe and so on and so forth, that led to sort of overbuying, uh, and that'll normalize, and that normalization tend to be painful. But the other areas of growth we're finding is, for example, if you look at some of the financials in Europe, uh, some of the financials in US, loan growth is coming back. So we feel that it's actually kind of reversal of what has been growth drivers, some of the financials, uh, 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 materials, uh, but also healthcare is, is a fantastic growth area, not the, not, not, you know, particular pharmaceutical side. So I, I, there's clearly areas of growth. And even from a country perspective, we feel outside China within emerging markets, there are interesting opportunities of growth because they're coming out of almost the eight, nine year of drought. Uh, while China, the, 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 the crackdown on the tech side, and we just saw recent, uh, you know, sort of new iteration of that just last week. I think, I, think, I think we believe that there's, there's more sort of downside to a lot of Chinese tech. They are, again, yesterday's growth, not tomorrow's growth. And comments on uh, what you've been hearing so okay, far. I've just got a couple of more questions. Um, in terms of, I guess, um, you know, taking this position in energy, do you, do you feel it's morally the right position to take? Uh, look, I think, I think it's actually immoral not to invest in energy. Right, un so unless, unless, unless we are willing to live by you know, burning candles or something, or willing to walk rather than drive. If, if you're driving or if using any power, uh, look, uh, in fact, one, would, or one could argue that the whole argument of reducing supply is a little bit elitist argument. 
Look, a third of the world still is making transition from wood back to something else, right? They're not going to be driving Teslas anytime soon. So we need cheap enough energy for the world to make the transition to get a certain level. So it's convenient to sit in New York or London and say we should shut down all supply. But I think that's not how the world works. I mean, a third of the world still trying to struggling to make transition away from wood into something better, right? Um, you know, from power, basically, I mean, as you know, 25% of the world doesn't have power supply yet. So, so if you raise prices too much, you can have perverse outcomes. And you're seeing that. I mean, coal, coal prices have gone up and coal supply. China has ramped up its coal production over the last six months because they ran short of other stuff, which so, is the perverse outcome. So actually, I believe it's morally wrong to reduce supply. You, you, go, to, you go to India. Look, I mean, you, you go to Africa. You go to parts of China. And you say oil price should be double because I think, I think, I think you, you'll get a you know, sort of experience of why this is, that's not really kind of a realistic argument in vast measure of the world. Go to Latin America. So by supporting the traditional paradigm, um, you're part of the solution, are you? No, what I'm saying is that it's a little bit more nuanced view, which is you need to support companies that are part of the solution. Not, every, 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 not everybody is a good corporate citizen, okay? But there's certain companies can be. You can make green steel. The problem is you can, there's, there's no human development which has happened without steel. You cannot build high-rise without steel. You cannot build aluminum, you can't build with copper. The problem is, for, as you know, with steel, it is, it is a dirty carbon-heavy industry, but there are ways to make it more greener, and, and, and the certain companies, like Mittal, for example, is able to do that. Some of the margin players would not be able to do that, but if you're saying we're not gonna make steel, well, I guess you're not gonna make any cars, you won't be able to make any high-rises, and that's, that's and, and every historical transition, energy transition has been taken decades and I don't think so this is any different. I mean, we have, we have less than 1% of cars are right now EV, and we are already running tight on a lot of metals. Okay, thank you. Okay. All right, so I'm going to ask you now, Rajiv, if you wouldn't mind tying a bow around your presentation. Re summarize up what you've been uh, proposing to us here today. Yeah, so uh, uh, we, we feel that the world uh, that we're entering, uh, and we've kind of entered late last year, is going to be a little bit higher inflation world because of underinvestment in a lot of areas, because of the supply chain issues. And that really started with the US-China trade war. Let's not forget China was, the, as I said, the factory to the world. And that's no longer the case. So it's not easy to get cheap stuff as, as easily as before. Now that has enormous implications. Number Number two is, the world stimulated, uh, was stimulated pretty aggressively and we need to go live through the hangover. Uh, the steroids that we were last two years in terms of stimulus, I mean, talk about $2 trillion, that is going away. Uh, and and, and then third thing is that underinvestment is leading to bottlenecks, which could last a lot longer. Typically, these cycles last eight to 10 years, uh, not two years. And the, the world is actually extremely, uh, in terms of the investment world, is positioned in an extremely lopsided manner uh, in fact, if you look at vast majority of tech, this is not even profitable. I mean, basically a dozen companies make more than 65, 70 of the profits of the tech. So the, the whole notion that they can keep burning cash and be around forever, I think that's again, that, that has happened before, but that, that movie has played before. And you're seeing a lot of growth managers taking it hard on the chin. So higher inflation will lead to probably slightly higher interest rate and nothing dramatic, by the way, you don't need 7-8% inflation, even 3-4% inflation means interest rates have, you know, will be sort of pushed higher. 
but that has enormous impact on the valuation that we're willing to pay. So we feel that the portfolio needs to be shifted away from what, what has worked. Um, and, and by the way, as you know, we are not sort of dogmatic energy investors. We had almost no investment in this area for over, over a dozen years, but it has to shift away or at least incorporate some of these new dynamics, which otherwise it could be pretty painful.